This particular epistle was a prison letter. It was written by the Apostle Paul, or most likely dictated by him, from the city of Rome, and was taken back to the church by a man called Epaphroditus. You'll see in chapter 2 of Philippians, in verses 24 and 25, that the Bible records, But I trust in the Lord that I also myself shall come shortly. Yet I supposed it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and companion in labor and fellow soldier, but your messenger and he that ministered to my wants. You see, when Epaphroditus had come to visit Paul in that Roman jail cell, he had brought with him a precious gift from the Philippian Christians. And now Paul was sending this man back to the city of Philippi, to the church, and he sends this letter with him. In the epistle, Paul expresses his deep gratitude for the kindness of the Lord's people and for the tangible expression of their love for him. And yet you will see that he does it in such a way as to glorify the name of Christ. This is not a carnal exercise on Paul's part. In thanking the church, he does not want in any way to take away from the fact that he is at all times utterly dependent upon the Lord alone for everything that he needs. Paul stresses this. Yes, it's true that he was indebted to these Christians. But in a far deeper, greater and higher sense, he was indebted to the Lord himself. And Paul shows that while he appreciated their generosity very much, his joy and his peace did not depend in any way on circumstances. But it's something that remained constant whether he was himself in poverty or wealth. And so we see these words in chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. Not that I speak in respect of want, I don't lack anything. For I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased, and I know how to abound. In other words, I know what it's like to have very little, and I know what it's like to have plenty. Everywhere and in all things, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Whatever the circumstances, he says, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. And so he refers to the state of contentment that he enjoyed. He also refers to the strength of Christ. That's what he was looking to at all times. The fact that the Lord is sufficient in every situation. But he does go on to speak, at some length in fact, of the support of the church. Beginning there in verse 14 he says, Notwithstanding ye have well done, that ye did communicate with my affliction. And then he begins to explain the support that these people have given to the work of God and specifically 
to him as a missionary of the cross. Paul acknowledges the faithfulness of the sacrificial giving of God's people. Notice in verse 15, he talks about the very beginning of his ministry. That's what he means by in the beginning of the gospel. Whenever he first set out on gospel ministry, he says, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. I received no support from any other congregation but from you. Because he said, even in Thessalonica, ye sent once and again unto my necessity. So he's acknowledging the faithful, regular giving of God's people to support him in the ministry. He does desire to glorify God in it all, but he's also anxious to show the church how appreciative he is of their giving, because they are servants of Christ as well. They are those who are helping to forward the gospel by their efforts. And it is to this matter of their giving, their literal financial material giving to the Lord's servant, that I want to focus upon in this message. I know that sometimes preachers can be accused of talking too much about money. And I don't want to ever be accused of that. Certainly not speaking about it in a carnal way. Certainly not speaking about it in any sort of self-seeking manner. But certainly as you look at the scripture, you'll find that the Lord has quite a lot to say about the giving of God's people. And what is interesting to me is that that giving is always set forth in a spiritual dimension. It's not carnal. It's not just a matter of dollars and cents, if you like, or pounds and pence, if you happen to be in the UK, or some other currency in some other country. This is a very spiritual thing. It is connected with spirituality. And so we should always look upon it in that context. I want to focus upon the giving of the Philippians tonight and seek to learn some lessons from that for our own lives even today. Now first of all you'll notice here that there is in Paul's words a natural commendation of their giving. This is what he's doing. He's giving credit where credit is due. He speaks of the fact in verse 14 that they had done well in communicating with him in this way. He is commending what they have done. He is thanking the Lord for what they have done. But he's certainly paying tribute to their faithfulness. The apostle felt a natural obligation to send his heartfelt thanks to the church from his prison cell. Yes, he is ultimately thankful to God. Because God is the great first cause of all things. We know that whoever the messenger is that brings the gift, it is the Lord who sends it. And Paul acknowledges that in verse 20. He says, Now unto God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. But while he's thankful to God, 
he feels that it's only right and proper to acknowledge the human instruments God had used to meet his needs. And indeed this support of Paul by the Philippian Christians was generously rendered. Notice how Paul speaks of this in verses 15 and 16. He says, In the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica ye sent once and again unto my necessity. They were unique in their support of him. Now I wonder why that was. Could it be that the Philippians felt a particular bond with Paul? Many of them, after all, owed everything to him under God, humanly speaking. Having heard the gospel at his lips, having been saved through his faithful labours. Is that why they were ready to give as they did? Perhaps. But in any case, they did it. Whatever the reason. Their giving was commended by Paul as having been very generously rendered on a regular basis. Now that material support was also greatly required. It was very much needed by the Lord's servant. Look at verse 16. He speaks of the fact that they had sent regularly unto his necessity that's the word that he uses there in that 16th verse unto my necessity Paul was in need there were bills to be paid there were needs that he had that could only be met by the generosity of those believers it was very much required and in a general sense we can say today that God's work needs support. You think of those who go to the mission field. They don't live on fresh air. They don't eat grass. They need supplies. They need support. They need vehicles to drive. They need to put fuel in those vehicles. They need to be able to have a house to live in. They need to heat those houses or to cool those houses, depending on the weather. They have various material needs. There are needs that are connected with the ministry in terms of radio ministry in some cases, in terms of giving out literature and tracts in other cases. There are great needs in the work of God. God's work always requires support. And so what Paul is referring to here, it is commended by him because it was greatly required as well as generously rendered. And obviously... It was gratefully received. Paul is truly thankful. Look at verse 10. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again. He's thanking God for the ministry of these people. In verse 14, again he says, Notwithstanding ye have well done, In verse 18, he says that I have all and abound, I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odour of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. 
Obviously, Paul appreciated all that was given. Even though he was a man who was certainly not in it for the money, so to speak. It was the apostle himself who said concerning the minister, the bishop, that he was not to be one who was greedy of filthy lucre. In other words, he's not to be in it for what he can get out of it. He's not to be in it for the money or for any kind of support that he might receive. And yet as you look at the ministry of the Apostle Paul, the writings of the Apostle Paul, he was one who was very aware of the fact that the work of God does normally go forward through the gifts of God's people. If you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul, in vindicating his own ministry, says uh, from verse 6, Or I only and Barnabas have not we power to forbear working? We don't need to work secular jobs, he says. Who goeth a warfare any time at his own charges? Who planteth a vineyard and eateth not of the fruit thereof? Or who feedeth a flock and eateth not of the milk of the flock? Say I these things as a man, or saith not the law the same also? And then he quotes the Old Testament in regard to giving. For it is written in the law of Moses, Thou shalt not muzzle the mouth of the ox that treadeth out the corn. Doth God take care for oxen, or saith he it altogether for our sakes? Then he goes on to vindicate the right of those who preach the gospel to be supported in preaching that gospel. Look at verse 14 of 1 Corinthians 9. Even so hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. And yet he's very careful to go on to say that he is not writing any of these things so that it might be done unto him. Again, Paul's not in it for what he can get out of it. He was very careful not to make folks think that he was a mercenary, that he was commercially minded, that he was greedy of filthy lucre, to use the phrase from Timothy. In fact, Paul was able to say in another place, I have coveted no man's silver. And again, let me turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, because there he's speaking of the same thing. From verse 7, 2 Corinthians 11, verse 7, Have I committed an offense in abasing myself that ye might be exalted, because I have preached to you the gospel of God freely? I robbed other churches, taking wages of them to do you service. And when I was present with you and wanted, I was chargeable to no man, for that which was lacking to me, the brethren which came from Macedonia supplied. And in all things... I have kept myself from being burdensome unto you, and so will I keep myself. As the truth of Christ is in me, no man shall stop me of this boasting in the regions of Achaia. So Paul is very careful to make it clear that the spread of the gospel is his only concern. And you know, there was a time for a fixed period, for a short time, when Paul worked as a tent maker along with Aquila and Priscilla. He was not afraid to get his hands dirty. He was not afraid to do physical work to support himself, even for a time as a tent maker. 
Because he didn't want anybody, anybody to say that he was making money out of the preaching ministry. But at the same time, though the man of God was not at all greedy for the support of God's people, yet when it was given, it was gratefully acknowledged by him. And he confessed and acknowledged that the Lord had brought it to him through them. It was a spiritual gift. Now this was a perfectly natural response. A natural commendation of their giving. Just as today if someone were to give you a gift, it would be a nice thing for you to sit down and just write them a little card or a note and say thank you very much for that. It was much appreciated. I have a principle. My wife and I, whenever we would once in a while perhaps feel led to give a gift to some ministry or to some mission organization or to some missionary. If we don't receive an acknowledgement of that gift, however small, then that's usually the last gift that's sent to that particular ministry. That's the way it should be. There ought to be thanksgiving, not only to God, but to those who God uses to meet needs. But as well as the natural commendation of their giving, I want you to notice secondly here that there is a necessary consideration of their giving. This that Paul is talking about should be elevated to the level of the spiritual rather than the carnal, as I've already indicated. When we start treating giving to the work of God, whether it be to a church or to missions or whatever it may be, as a matter of paying our dues, the way someone would pay dues when they belong to a club, or paying a spiritual tax, which happens to be 10% and that which is added to it, that is not a spiritual response. That is not a spiritual attitude. I think that we need to understand what Paul is saying here, especially when we read Philippians chapter 4 and verse 18. He talks about the things that he received of Epaphroditus. They had been sent from the Philippian Christians. Notice how he describes them. Having received of Epaphroditus, the things which were sent from you, an odour of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. Now if you go back in your Bible just a few pages to Ephesians chapter 5, it says in the first two verses, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love, as Christ also hath loved us, and hath given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savour. Notice the similarity in those words. He speaks to the Ephesians about the Lord Jesus giving himself as an offering and as a sacrifice to God that was as a sweet-smelling savour. And now in speaking to the Philippians, he says of the things that they have sent to him for his support, he said those things are the odour of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. Now, he's not trying to say 
that their giving is equivalent to the sacrifice that Christ made. That is not what he's saying. But what he is doing is introducing this subject as something that is very spiritual. It is in the realm of a spiritual sacrifice given to God. So as we think about this, we have to understand that our giving is a vital part of the worship of God. And this is a necessary consideration. When the Philippians gave what they gave to Paul, and I don't know how much it was, or indeed what it was, but when they gave what they gave, they weren't just giving to Paul, they were giving to God. It was a spiritual act. Now whenever you compare the history of Israel, on a regular basis the Israelites would bring offerings that were of a sweet-smelling savour unto the Lord. We just finished studying the offerings in the book of Leviticus. And it's clear that when they brought what they brought to the Lord, it was pleasing to Him. And when it says something was of a sweet-smelling savour, it is really figurative language. It's speaking about the pleasure that God derives from the offerings It's like a sweet smell in his nostrils. Christian, do you ever look at your own material or financial giving to the Lord's work in that way? Is that how you view it? Is that how you look upon your giving? You should. It's a vital part of the worship of God. And that's why in the regular order of things, I like to have an offering during the service in the church because it's part of our worship of Almighty God. We should always look upon it in that light. Not only is your giving a vital part of the worship of God, your giving is a valuable provision for the witness of the gospel. How important it is to give in order that the gospel might make progress. I've mentioned before missionaries that we knew in the Free Church in Northern Ireland, known as the Munns. We knew very well, particularly Emma Munn and her sister Janet. But there were others in the family, Robert and others who went to various mission fields, They were a great family. And Emma was a character as well. I could tell you some very funny stories about her. But she was a godly, gracious woman. When she went to Africa as a missionary, when she got off the boat, she went to a community where she was the only white woman in the whole country, perhaps. Certainly in that vicinity. Most of the people had never seen someone who was not of their own race. Emma was a great missionary of the cross. So was Janet. But whenever they had to come home because of health considerations and so on, Emma and her sister Janet particularly wanted to continue to serve the Lord. Missions was always upon their hearts. In fact, I can remember as a boy of about six years of age, sitting on Emma's knee 
in the Sandown Road Church, and she used to refer to me as her little missionary. And Emma thought everyone should go to Africa. That's how she was. But she and her sister opened a bookstore, and many of the people in Ulster of an older vintage will remember the Bethel Bookshop. And inside that store, which had mostly new books, but had some second-hand books as well, and various pictures and so on with scripture text on them, there was a text on the wall. It wasn't actually a Bible text, it was a saying, but it was inside a frame. And what it said on it was simply this, every purchase speeds the gospel. Now that was literally true of the Bethel bookstore, because Emma and her sister were very conscientious and made sure that every penny of profit from the sale of books went directly to missions. Every purchase speeds the gospel. And what a great ministry those ladies had even in the days of their supposed retirement. You know, your giving is a valuable provision for the witness of the gospel. Paul mentions here in Philippians 4.15 the beginning of the gospel. In other words, at the time when support was needed, the people of God in Philippi provided it. And so we think today of missionaries, of churches, of colleges and seminaries to train personnel for ministry. They all require finance. The Word of God takes money to get out, whether it be calendars or tracts or booklets or Bibles. It all costs money to print. And so let us remember this, that our giving is a vital part of the worship of God, but it's also a valuable provision for the witness of the gospel. You may not be able to go to the mission field physically and literally. There are some of the old saints of God that have become so sick and so infirm that they can't even leave their own homes. But they can go to various parts of the world by their prayers and by their practical support of the work of God. And many of them do serve the Lord in that way. And the Lord will acknowledge it. And the Lord will bless it. And of course your giving then is a visible proof of a work of grace. That may come as a surprise to some people. That financial giving would in any way be a visible proof. Or some kind of evidence of a work of God's grace. Well it really is. I have to say I have great concerns about folks who are what I might call tight with God. Those who just can't afford to give more than a few cents. At least they think they can't. They could afford very much more than that, but they just don't give to the work of God. If you read what Paul had to say to the Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, it is so clear that giving is a visible proof of God's grace in operation. In fact, this is how Paul speaks about giving 
It is, as one preacher called it, the grace of giving. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 1, Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. Now, just think about that statement. The grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. What is that grace? Well, it is the grace of giving. You read on from verse 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 from verse 6. Insomuch that we desired Titus, that as he had begun, so he would also finish in you the same grace also. Therefore, as ye abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge, and in all diligence, and in your love to us, see that ye abound in this grace also. I speak not by commandment, but by occasion of the forwardness of others, and to prove the sincerity of your love. Verse 19. Not that only, but who was also chosen of the churches to travel with us with this grace which is administered by us to the glory of the same Lord. He's talking about their giving. And verse 24, Wherefore show ye to them and before the churches the proof of your love and of our boasting on your behalf. Isn't that interesting? The proof of your love. Chapter 9 of Second Corinthians, verse 7. Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. And the, the word literally means in the original, an hilarious giver. Someone who loves to give to the work of God, to such a degree that it is a delight to their hearts. They're almost giggling as they give their offerings. That's the grace of giving. Now, of course, let me emphasize that money or material things are not a substitute for yourself or your service. We sang earlier, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my moments and my days, let them flow in ceaseless praise. Take my lips and let them sing ever only for my King. Take my feet and let them be swift and beautiful for Thee. Ah, but yes, take my silver and my gold. Not a mite would I withhold. Our giving of material things is not a substitute for giving ourselves. Rendering our talents to the Lord or our time to the Lord. But it is something of a spiritual barometer. And I know that those whose wallets are difficult to open to support the work of God, they belong to hearts that are not open to the work of God. But there's one other thing I want to mention here and it's this. There is, a, there is in the words of Paul in Philippians 4, a notable consolation in their giving that's mentioned. A notable consolation in their giving. I do love this text. Because I remember as a child, when I would go to Sunday school along with my sisters, for our attendance at Sunday school, and maybe for answering questions in the catechism, or for being able to quote passages of scripture, we had an annual prize giving. 
And you could get various things as your prize. But one of the most common things that was given and received as a prize for Sunday school attendance was a scripture picture. It would be perhaps a beautiful scene, but it would have a verse of scripture in it. And one of those gifts, one of those prizes that was gained either by one of my sisters or myself was a picture that hung on the living room wall of my mum and dad's home and it had these words in it. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Do you know that giving to the Lord is like a spiritual investment? It is. If you look at verse 17, compare what he says there. Not because I desire a gift. I don't want you to be giving because I just want to receive it. But I desire fruit that may abound to your account. And doesn't the Lord say this through Paul in Second Corinthians uh, chapter 8 as well? That there will be blessing for those who give. He says it in chapter 9 and verse 6. He which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. And he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. God is able to make all grace abound toward you. In other words, this is the notable consolation. Fruit that may abound to your account. One preacher described it as an account that receives compounded interest. And some of you who are into banking will understand what that is. Now, of course, this has nothing whatsoever to do with so-called prosperity theology. And I find it nauseating when you have people who appear on a television screen talking to people about sowing a seed. And of course the seed will be many thousands of dollars that you could send to their ministry. And uh, there are many charlatans out there that are seeking to profit from the generosity of God's people. And the idea that prosperity is guaranteed to you as a Christian is not scriptural. But it is a fact that when you give to God, he will meet your every need. It doesn't say in the Bible that the Lord will meet your greeds. It doesn't say that he will meet your excesses. It does say that he will meet your every need. And I want to tell you that my God shall supply all your need has reference not just to material things, but spiritual needs. Spiritual needs. Blessing. Because these are according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. There are a number of things in this text we haven't got time to expound it fully. But there's a plea in the text. But my God. Isn't it wonderful to be able to say that tonight? Oh, we can say our God collectively as Christians within the church. 
But isn't it a beautiful thing to be able to say, my God? Even as the disciple did when he fell at Jesus' feet, Thomas, he cried out, my Lord and my God. Now I belong to Jesus. Jesus belongs to me. Not for the years of time alone, but for eternity. This is a word for Christians. My God, our own God and our own Father. This is the one who meets the need. This is the plea, my my God. And there's the pledge, shall supply. Spurgeon used to say, God is not a God of ifs and maybes and mights. He is a God of shalls and wills. Here's a pledge. But my God, Paul says, shall supply. He will. He has bound himself to do so. And then, of course, there's the plight. You could say the predicament. All your need. That could speak of many different things. When the Lord Jesus was giving his teaching in Matthew chapter 6, he refers to the things that ye have need of. And among those things were, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? Wherewithal shall we be clothed? The necessaries of life, our food, our drink, our clothing. All your need. But of course it even goes beyond that. Because in Hebrews 4, we have that wonderful promise concerning our prayers Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And it's not just a time of physical or material need, though it could be. It includes much more than that. The Lord is able to come to our predicament and meet all of our need. Whatever your need is tonight, the Lord has the answer to it. The plea, my God, the pledge, shall The predicament, all your need. The plenitude shall supply according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. There's two things there. The supply and the riches. God's work done in God's way will always receive God's supply. I believe it was Hudson Taylor, the missionary, who coined that phrase. There is a bank of heaven, and the Lord is the one who is the manager of that bank. And there is a full supply for us there. Whatever your need is tonight, the Lord can meet that need. And how does he do it? Well, there's the plan. And you could even say the person, by Christ Jesus. All that the Lord brings to us, he brings to us by Christ Jesus. And friend, let me tell you tonight, if you're not saved, everything that you would ever need for time or eternity is bound up in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the answer to the need of human hearts. There are folks tonight who have no peace. They, many of them toss and turn, 
can't sleep very well, they are worried about the future, they don't have any real rest in their lives. The Bible says, Thou will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. The Lord is able to give you peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ, and is also able to give you, as Philippians 4 verse 7 teaches us here in the context, the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, that will keep or garrison your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Jesus is the answer. Christ is the answer to every need that man might ever have. So let me commend the Saviour to you tonight. If you're a believer, continue to trust Him. Continue to look to Him. Continue to serve Him. Give of your best to the Master. Give Him first place in your heart, as the hymn puts it. And if you don't know Christ, may this be the night when you throw down your puny arms of rebellion and say with the hymn writer, I am coming, Lord, coming now to Thee. Wash me, cleanse me in the blood that flows from Calvary. The Lord is abundantly able to save, and may he save you tonight if you don't know him.